all just find a silver lining here to quote P.J. Fleck. Badgers fans, we might not be headed to Indy, but you know what? We're co-Big Ten runners-up. Let's hold our heads high. Those who stay will be champions. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, I was out yesterday, threw out my back. I got something wrong with one of the discs. Couldn't put my socks on yesterday morning. I had to text my boss. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can get in my car. I don't think I can get to the studio. So Ben Kenny, like the saint, the peach that he is, love that guy, filled in yesterday. And I joined the show a little bit around 5 o'clock. So I'm rehabbing. Uh, I'm just attacking it. 19 to 20 hours, 21 hours a day. That's how serious this that's how serious this thing is. I mean, not as serious as a finger injury um, like Russell Wilson's, but we're working through it. So I'm happy to be back in the studio today. And we get news this afternoon that uh, Brooke Lopez underwent back surgery and is going to be out indefinitely for the Bucks. Like, sheesh. Okay, well, at least my back isn't messed up like Brooke Lopez's back is. Although, lesson be learned, even slight back soreness, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it because it can get a lot worse, as we learned with Brooke Lopez. I really want to know the full story of his back because it's been called soreness really since the first game of the season, and now we got surgery. So obviously it didn't go from soreness for two months to all of a sudden needing surgery. There's something else at play there. I want to know the full story. But my back started hurting, I don't know, about a month ago. And I remember Dave from Monona calling in, giving me crap about it. Well, look at me now. I got the disc issue. Now I can barely put my socks on. Got to miss shows. I hate missing shows. Glad to be back today. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Again, a huge thank you to Ben Kenny yesterday for stepping in. Like this week wasn't made for Ben, right? To talk Badgers after the Minnesota game and the basketball team has just been hooping. He had his buddy Asher on from Locked On Badgers to talk about the basketball team. They got another awesome win last night in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They beat Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech. This team is just fun. I still don't know how good they are. I believe that was my question to Zach Heilpern last time we spoke. I'm like, hey, is this team any this team any good? Because I I could see them finishing a top 10 team. We've seen crazier things from Wisconsin squads over the years. Or I could see them finishing outside the top 25. I, I don't know if the rankings or how good they end up being will change my opinion of this team. I think I'm starting to get them nailed down. They're fun. They have a lot of life. They play really confidently. And maybe they play with more confidence than they should for how talented or how experienced they are. I I don't know, but I'm kind of nailing down the viewing experience of this Badgers basketball team. Last night, just another really, really good example to teach us a little bit something about that team. So that was fun to watch last night. The Bucs had maybe their most entertaining game of the year. We'll talk about that. But a lot of football today as well. Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus is going to join us at 4.30, 4.35, somewhere in there. We're going to compare the Packers and the Rams, talk a little bit about the running game and A.J. Dillon, and I have a Matt LaFleur question or two for him as well. I love when Eric joins the show. He'll be on in about a half hour. Mike Clemens at 5.30 to talk about how some Packers players are attacking the bye week, maybe how they're rehabbing, or just some cool stories about what they're doing with their two weeks off or week off and then they're back next week. You know what I mean. Some human interest things, Uh, getting to know some of those players and coaches that Mike obviously speaks to every day when he's in Green Bay doing his reporting. So we'll talk with him at 5.30. I want to start, because it's Thursday, with the NBA Lounge. I want to talk hoops, all right? And last couple weeks, really since the second week of the season or so, we started every Thursday, 
just talking about some hoops, talking about some NBA games, just chopping it up over the association, right? And I think it works especially perfect today. Thursdays are are a good day to talk NBA because the schedule of the week, a lot of games on Monday, and then there are very few on Tuesday because that's the night the TNT has some exclusive games and you don't want to have eyeballs all over the place. So Monday, lots of games. Tuesday, just a few. Wednesday, lots of games. So a huge slate on Monday, a game or two I want to talk about, a huge slate last night, but I mostly want to focus on the Bucks because their game against the Hornets last night was maybe their best, most fun game of the season outside of opening night where they got the rings and beat up on the Nets. They beat Charlotte 127-125 last night. So I want to spend most of our time on the Bucks, but we're going to rapid fire through a couple of teams really quickly because we, you know, when we get in the NBA lounge, it's not just about the Milwaukee Bucks. I like bringing in some other stories. T-Wolves fans, I got something for you today as well. I'm going to grab my coffee. Mmm. I am dehydrated. I'm drinking nothing but coffee today. Uh, going back to Monday, really quick, because this is important. We're going to circle back to this at some point during the show. The Suns beat Golden State. The Suns have won almost 20 games in a row now. The Suns are really good. And I think for the first two weeks of the season, everyone started to think, ah, the Suns really blew their chance. They really missed their opportunity. Uh, the Suns are a juggernaut. And every game I watch of them, I... I'm further confused as to why they didn't pay DeAndre Ayton. Last night, Steph Curry went four for 12, three of 14 from three. And Steph has bad games here and there. When you shoot as much as he does, there's going to be bad nights. But part of that was Mikhail Bridges, who the Suns extended wisely. Smart deal, under 100 million bucks. But then also there were possessions where Ayton was ISOed on him on the outside, which for Golden State, that's what you want. You want to switch a big on to Steph Curry, and Curry can make his moves. Ayton wasn't given any ground. They don't want to pay him? I don't get it. I don't get it because he can step out and defend. He, I think, has been everything and more the Suns could have hoped for when they drafted him first overall. And for another reason that we're going to circle back to when we get to the Bucks here in a few minutes. By the way, Jordan Poole is still hooping. He had 28 because, of course, Milwaukee's own Jordan Poole. Awesome. I love Jordan Poole. And Kavon Looney, maybe the most successful professional athlete to ever come out of Wisconsin. Multi-time champion Kavon Looney. Uh, last night, this is just more of a quick mention. The Magic beat the Nuggets. I feel for the Nuggets. They lost Jamal Murray with the knee injury last year. Now Michael Porter Jr., who just signed his five-year max, he had back surgery. I can relate as a back injury myself. They're going to be paying him 32 to $39 million per year for the next five or six years. So hopefully that back gets healthy. They now have a backcourt of Monte Morris, Trill Barton, Will Barton, Faku Campazzo, and Marcus Howard. Yeah, that Marcus Howard, the one from Marquette. So... Denver's down bad. That's too bad. I feel for him. Uh, Also, T-Wolves fans, I love Anthony Edwards. Oh, my God. I know you guys lost to the Wizards last night, but I don't care. Anthony Edwards is one of my favorite players in the league, I think. He's a freak. He's been the best athlete in any sport he's ever played. And we used to hear him in interviews. He'd be like, I'll play baseball. I was a cleanup hitter. I'll I'll swim. I'll be a lacrosse player. And, you know, that's always funny. But now I'm kind of seeing it. Oh, yeah. Whatever this man has ever done athletically, competitively for his entire life, he's been the best at. And it's clear the way that he plays. He's a pit bull who wants to rip your head off, which is the exact opposite of Carl Anthony Towns, which is why I kind of like this pairing. One of my favorite NBA games of the year so far was last Wednesday when Minnesota beat Miami and Anthony Edwards scored 33 and Jimmy Butler like pulled up. He's like, tough guy, I'm going to fight you. And Anthony Edwards like, you're not going to fight me. Go away, Jimmy. And Jimmy did because Jimmy's kind of a fake tough guy. Okay, those are a couple teams I wanted to mention, including the Wolves. This is slowly 
but surely, but slightly, but not really, but also, yes, becoming a T-Wolf show as well, because I'm really enjoying watching them. And I know I'm not alone. I think a lot of NBA fans are living their eye a couple times a week to what the Wolves and Anthony Edwards are doing. Last night, game of the night, Milwaukee hosting Charlotte. And I was already planning to talk about Charlotte today because we mentioned the Hornets a few weeks ago and I brought up Miles Bridges, Big Ten guy, right? And how he's having just this outstanding breakout season. Jonathan Sharks just put a piece out for the ringer that highlights this really well. You should go read it. It's really cool. Player development story, adding skills, but also it's fit. From last year to this year, his points have gone from 12 and a half to almost 20. Field goal percentage has actually dropped, which is a great sign because it means it's not just fluky shooting numbers. His rebounds are up. His assists are up. His steals are way up. And Miles Bridges' partnership with LaMelo and the fit with LaMelo ball is a big reason for this. And LaMelo worked with both guys, to be fair. Like, remember last year when all of a sudden Bismack Biombo was catching lobs? <laughs> we're like, oh, Bismack Biombo's always been good. He just needed LaMelo ball. Well, a bunch of players love to play with LaMelo ball. And Lonzo balls we're seeing now in Chicago. He's fun to play with. This partnership between Miles Bridges, whose playing time and usage rate has skyrocketed, fit with LaMelo has been great. In fact, the LaMelo to Miles Bridges connection in terms of assists is behind only two partnerships in the NBA. Draymond Green to Steph Curry and Chris Paul to Devin Booker. Pretty good company to be in. And as I mentioned, his points per game just haven't jumped this year because of fluke shooting numbers. As a former 3 and D guy, his three-point percentage has actually dropped. Last year, he hit 40% of his threes. This year, he's hitting 32. It's cool. Now, I was prepared to go into last night's game watching Miles Bridges, especially with the Bucks without Brooke in the paint. Now they're going to be without him for a long time. He had back surgery today. And Miles Bridges is fine. He had 22. But last night was the LaMelo ball game. And it was a battle between Giannis, who's obviously won three MVPs, and LaMelo. Right now, if I gave you 100 bucks and you had to bet that money on whether or not LaMelo will or won't win an MVP at some point in his career, what are you betting? It's even odds. You might say no, just because there's a lot of good NBA players. It's hard to win MVPs. But if I gave you a little juice on yes, wouldn't you be tempted to say yes? LaMelo Ball seems like the type of player that at some point would win an MVP, right? So we're watching these two go back and forth, blow for blow. Giannis, 40-12-9, and and LaMelo, 36-5-9 and with three steals. And he was hitting threes. He had a career high. I think he hit eight. Let me get the box score up. He shot like 8 of 13 last night. Like, imagine Brad Davison in his best ever three-point shooting night. That's basically what LaMelo Ball did last night, including tying it with like, what was that? Five, six seconds to go. And then Giannis on the other end. LaMelo last night hit 8 of 15 from three. Yeah, including a big clutch tie three-pointer at the end. Giannis's game winner, I think, was a signal last night and a continuation of what we saw in the playoffs last year when Giannis just kind of figured it out. Like, you could see the light come on for him. I think in the Brooklyn series, shot selection was huge in the Brooklyn series, where he realized, okay, I don't need to force this shot. I don't need to force this one. I can pass. And then there were moments where, yes, I do need, this needs to be me. His decision-making got really good and clear in that Brooklyn series. But then against Atlanta and against Phoenix, he had moments where it's just like, okay, well, I'm taking over. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And he realized that like in the Matrix, where he figures it out. That's what Giannis did, and he figured out angles. The way to slip to the backboard, and exactly with those long arms, how much space he has to work with if he's playing off the backboard. Did you see his game winner last night? It went off the corner. It barely touched the backboard, and it ended up going in. Figured out angles. That was on display. Also, quick mention, Pat Connaughton. Um, remember my Fred Van Vliet theory? 
of a middle-of-the-road 3-and-D player who has an insane shooting run in the postseason, and then that confidence never goes away. I'm starting to think that's the case with Pat. He's pulling from deep, and he's putting them in more often than not. He was 3-of-6 last night, including some big three-pointers in the fourth quarter. So I think my Fred Van Vliet theory, that's sticking with Pat Connaughton. We're going to continue to monitor that. Really cool game last night. And one big picture take before we move on. I want to go back to the Suns, who we started with, and compare them to the Bucks, which is convenient because the Suns and the Bucks played each other in the NBA Finals last year, so we can kind of clump them in a compartment together mentally when we watch them. The Bucks have won eight in a row. They look really, really good. The Suns have won 17 in a row and look outstanding. I was watching Colin Cowherd's show today. Not that it means anything, but it's a good show to like take the temperature, like, oh, what's Colin saying? Like, what's his feel? Not saying he speaks for sports fans, but if you watch Colin, you watch Stephen A., you get kind of a vibe of what people are talking about. Colin is burying the Lakers. He's like, oh, the Suns are going to run this conference for the next decade. The Lakers are done, which is stupid because nothing ever lasts for a decade in the NBA, but I get his point, right? The Suns have all these guys in or entering their prime other than Chris Paul. They play defense. They're long, but I want to talk about DeAndre Ayton. And I think DeAndre Ayton has some really interesting comps to Giannis and the size and the challenges that these two present both offensively and defensively for most teams that they play like Golden State. Remember last week when we were talking NFL and we talked about teams who can play the run and play physical and Ty Dunn put out that piece about old school football and how defenses just aren't equipped for it. Defenses have been getting smaller and faster and we have safeties playing linebacker and we're not stacking the box anymore and we're playing nickel, right? Well, now there are teams that are realizing this, that defenses are kind of soft by design, and they're just smashing them. Look at what Jonathan Taylor's doing. Well, the same thing has happened in the NBA over the last couple of years, and it started with the Warriors, who interestingly enough were beat up by Phoenix on Monday night. The NBA has become all about space and pace. We want to go faster. We want to be lighter. Look at what Daryl Morey did with the Rockets. He traded their center so Russell Westbrook would have an easier time driving at the hoop. We don't need a center. We don't need size. Everyone's getting smaller, smaller, smaller. Well, now what happens when you have to go up against DeAndre Ayton, who's rare for his size and his agility and all the traits he possesses? Golden State didn't have an answer. What happens when you have to go against Giannis, who you can't just guard with a P.J. Tucker type? Like, you need size to guard Giannis. You need, you need a true center. No one had an answer last year. The Heat might have the closest thing to it, and bam, and no, that didn't even that didn't even have a prayer of working. So this NBA landscape, all these teams have been trying to be the Warriors. Go smaller, get faster, more space and pace. Well, now how do you deal with DeAndre Ayton? Or how do you deal with Giannis? Or how do you deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers? By the way, did you see what they did last night with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and the dominance that they're kind of having inside? Interesting how the NFL and the NBA are lined up philosophically. NFL defense has gotten softer by design. NBA rosters have gotten smaller by design, and all of a sudden we're seeing how teams who are adjusting or have these outlier players, Aiton, Giannis, how they can take advantage of how the NBA is set up. It's interesting, and it's something that's worth monitoring. You don't just go out and get a DeAndre Aiton or a Giannis, but if you want to win a title or make the finals, you need to get past a DeAndre Aiton or a Giannis, and that might be an issue for the Bulls or it might be an issue for the Nets. Or in the West, we see it's obviously an issue with the Warriors, which is why I think they're just clinging to James Wiseman, hoping that he can be their answer for somebody big after they've gotten so small for the last couple of years. Let's take a break. I want to talk about Badgers hoops, and then we're going to talk NFL and Packers with Eric Eager coming up at 4.30. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes.
Sports Show, Pro Football Focus. Eric Eager will join us in about 10 or 12 minutes. The talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Mike in Monona says, what is this elevator music? Mike, this is the music you hear when you step into the NBA lounge. Shoot the breeze about the association like we do eh, for about 15 minutes to start the show every Thursday. You also asked Mike, and thank you for bringing this up because I completely forgot it. He says, you going to be okay if baseball is canceled? No. No, I will not. And none of you should pretend like you will be either. Baseball's awesome. I don't want baseball to get canceled. They are on strike. There's a lockout, a work stoppage, or whatever. We're going to talk about that at 5 o'clock. And God bless you, Mike, because when I started the show, I forgot to mention that. So baseball crew, hot stove crew, counting down the days till spring training crew, we're going to talk your thing uh, at 5 o'clock. And I'm excited because I have some things to say. But if you expect legal updates and, and translations of what's going on. I don't I don't have the bandwidth for it. I refuse to do it. But I'll talk more about that and explain that at 5 o'clock. Mad Mike says, glad you're feeling good enough to come back. Wishing you better health. Thank you, Mad Mike. I, God, I had so many coworkers today who told me, oh, you're getting older. I'm like, oh, God. Hey, I'm going to blow out my back. I at least want to do it doing something cool. And I didn't. I have no clue what did it. Chiropractor tells me it was probably a lot of little things. Well, that's lame. If I'm going to hurt it, I want to be jumping something on a mountain bike or, I don't know, anything other than bending over in the kitchen. Thank you for the text. You can tweet me. Follow me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant as well. Badgers hoops. Badger, Badgers hoops. Big 10 ACC challenge. Let's go, Wisconsin. Now, I've said, uh, maybe a little facetiously, but, but also seriously, that I'm a college basketball guy again, that I'm back this year. I'm back after for the last two years kind of just punting on it maybe out of laziness maybe for the the show and the entertainment value I just you know college basketball is my favorite thing and it kind of comes and goes in cycles one year I'll be really into it the next year eh. but I've realized this year I just need to be better I need to step my game up I don't want to be that radio host that completely has to say I don't watch I didn't see it I don't know what to tell you about the Georgia Tech I don't what is their mascot actually I don't even know yellow jackets I want to know I want to be in the conversation. There's nothing worse than an inside joke that you're not a part of or a college basketball conversation that you can't be a part of because you haven't watched the games. So this year, trying to better myself, not only watch the Badgers, which I, for the most part, do anyways, even if I'm not into college basketball at a given time, but I'm trying to watch other random games as well and keep up with the top prospects. And thank you. So many of you have tweeted me at Wisco Grant throughout the last week or so. Hey, Ohio State's got a good one going. You know, you got to tune into to Syracuse. They beat, who did Syracuse beat the other night? We just talked about it. Uh, Indiana. They beat Indiana. Um, and that was a great game that went to a couple of overtimes. So let's keep the bit going. We, let's tweet obnoxiously about college basketball. I'm going to tweet about it like it's my firstborn son, even though I'm, I'm only getting back into it now. Last night's game was awesome. Wisconsin won 70-66, to 66, and it was the Brad Davison game. And I could tell, like, six minutes in, and I had the game on mute. So I had the Badgers on one screen with the sound on, or the, the Bucks, and then I had the Badgers on another. And I was taking glances at the Badger game. I wasn't dialed in. And even in the first six minutes, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is going to be the Brad Davison game. And I believe I tweeted at Wisco Grant. uh, I don't want to incorrectly quote myself. I tweeted at 829. The game started at 815. So it was long before halftime. I tweeted, this is going to be one of those games where Brad shoots 6 of 11 from 3, isn't it? Well, I wasn't exactly right, but I give myself credit. I was pretty darn close. He finished 5 of 9. So if he takes two more and makes one, I would have nailed it. Brad Davison went on a run in the second half. He finished with 27. 
but at one point scored, I think it was nine straight points and really helped them build that 10-point lead. And last night, kind of a similar mold, a a similar path to victory that they used against uh, St. Mary's at the end of, or even Houston, jump out to a lead at some point, get hot, go on a run, take a lead of 10 or 11 points, or in the case of the Houston game, they, they led by much more, and then hold on. And the way that Wisconsin plays defense and the way that they don't turn the ball over, which has been the Wisconsin thing for years, and hit your free throws, you can hold on to a lot of games, right? You're going to win a lot of games that way. Now, last night, the free throws, a little bit of an issue, and I'm looking at Zach Heilprin's piece, and you can find it at madcitysportszone.com. Obviously, Zach, good friend of show. And he wrote about the free throws, and he gave this one stat that I wanted to share with you. The not-so-good part of the game, he writes, free throws. Wisconsin got some clutch free throws down the stretch from Davison and Chucky Hepburn to put the game away, but those came after Tyler Wall missed a pair with 224 left, and Jonathan Davis made one of two. I remember that. Johnny's my guy. Johnny, gotta make those with about two minutes remaining. The overall percentage does not look too bad. They shot 68% from the line, but a lot of those misses came late when you just can't afford to miss games, right? Or miss free throws, not miss games. We can't miss games either. I got baseball on the brain. I apologize. The Wisconsin identity of playing basketball hasn't changed. And we've talked about this for years. Make your free throws. Don't turn the ball over. Play really tough defense and don't have mental errors. If you can do those three things, you're going to win games. That's a good formula. Now, if Wisconsin can get some superstar power from Jonathan Davis or a great game from Brad Davison or, you know, pop type plays and performances from Chucky Hepburn or Wall or any other of these players. Now, if they can run that formula and get great talent, well, then you can win a lot of games. And that's what we saw when they were making final fours. The team didn't change. They didn't turn into some seven seconds or less NBA team. No, 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 no. They did all the same things. They just had insane talent to execute and to score. And even when the offense wasn't working, then they could have guys who could create for themselves. The formula needs to say the same. Ideally, you get some talent that pops. And maybe that's Jonathan Davis this year. That's my hope. Hepburn has shown flashes too defensively, but passing the ball as well. And Jonathan Davis didn't have his best career night last night, at least scoring. But he got involved in other ways. He had a career high in assists. He had, let's see, he was close to blocking a bunch of shots. He ended up with a steal and a block and a couple of assists and rebounds. He's long and athletic, and he can impact basketball games in other ways. The problem for the Badgers is going to come. And if they go on a little losing streak or they lose conference games, which they undoubtedly will, it's a long season. But if the Badgers are 6-1 and right now, and if at any point they go through a rough patch or they have some struggles, it will be because one of these three things go south. They're not making free throws. We got dangerously close to that last night. It will be because defensively they're having lapses, right, where they're giving up wide-open layups. It's like, oh, you can't. You know, back-breaking plays, you can't let that happen. Or it will be because they're turning the ball over on offense. Those three things. If you can keep those three things tightened up, you're going to win a lot of ball games. And I would bet money that if the Badgers start struggling or they go through a rough patch or they start losing games at any point, it will be because one of those three things goes south. They can't make free throws. They're turning the ball over or they're having defensive lapses and they're giving up free buckets. No free buckets. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. Wisconsin isn't to win games consistently uh, that way. I got a tweet here, and another thing, I apologize. There's a lot going on right now, and I was off yesterday, so my rhythm's a little off. John tweeted in and said, baseball is life. How about that trade last night? Yeah, the Brewers made a trade, too. Another thing we're going to talk about when we get there at 5 o'clock. Schmidt on the north side, 
the NBA Lounge is the greatest thing to happen to this program, and it's just the kick in the nuts I need to get through my Thursday. Well, that's excellent. Todd says, hey, Grant, I know how you feel. I threw out my back coughing. My brother threw out his back while peeling a potato. I I didn't even do that. I don't know what it was. Mike in Monona says, guard seems to be letting them play with more freedom this year. Last 20 years, quick bad shot would send you to the bench, but not this season. Might have to do with what happened in the offseason. Maybe. And we talk about modernizing with the football team. I think that would be a good thing. Modernization is always good. It doesn't mean overthrowing your whole program and your philosophy, but tweaking here and there and adapting. You can't be rigid. And I listened to the, the post-game moment in that locker room where Greg Gard's standing. He's like, man, you guys, you guys are fun. You guys are fun. And maybe it's the lack of expectations because this team is so young that lets them play loose. And they are fun. I don't know how good they are, but they're fun. And that's good enough for me. It's good enough to watch and talk about on this show. Let's get into the Packers and the NFL. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus joins the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, tweet me at Wisco Grant if you want to get involved with the show, as John did to remind me that the Brewers made a trade. So I was out yesterday. And I was so excited to talk Bucks and then Badgers basketball. And we're about to talk Packers. And I forgot, yeah, baseball's going on strike and the Brewers made a trade. Yes, all of that. Also, Antonio Brown's been suspended, among everything else. And now everyone's arguing that Aaron Rodgers versus AB, and it's just a mess. With this vaccination card thing, I'm starting to think Antonio Brown might not be the best guy. I don't know. Changing, <laughs> changing how I feel about the Bucks wide receiver. Joining us now, talk Packers. Good friend of show. I always appreciate his input. Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager. He's on the Forecast Pod. He just wrote a piece about the efficacy of run plays and pass plays when they're perfectly blocked. Very interesting, Eric. Uh, I blew out my back, and I've had time on the couch, and I sifted through this article and feel like I learned a lot, so I have to thank you for that. Well, I'm glad. I, you know, Ever since I left lacrosse, I don't know if I've taught anybody there anything, but uh, <laughs> but at least I, I, I get to now and, and uh, a few years later. Yeah, well, you're reaching. I actually have a teaching question for you maybe here in a, in a few minutes. I want to start with the Packers-Rams game, which feels like it was a long time ago now, now that we've kind of switched into bye week mode. Uh, what I said on Monday, and this is how I read that game, and I listened to your podcast, and you guys obviously only hit on it for a couple of minutes, but this is how I saw it, and you tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Packers played fine. Nothing insane. They were pretty good. 5.1 yards per play. Nothing insane. They had a couple miscues. The Rams played fine, by and large, too. Their miscues hurt a little bit more. Pick six and a fumble. My take on Monday was the Packers know who they are and what they do well. They're very sure of themselves. They have an identity. I don't think the Rams have a clue what they're supposed to be doing or what they're good at. And I thought Sunday's game was a good example of identity. And maybe while it's not statistically measurable, it's really, really important. I thought that's what Sunday was about. Am I right about that? I think so, and it also just shows how much better. So in the uh, PFF uh, NFL Live show, which airs at you know 10 a.m. Uh, your time every Sunday morning, I, I talked about how since 2009, Aaron Rodgers has earned 20 more wins above replacement than Matthew Stafford, despite mm-hmm. the fact that basically started the same number of games. So like when your your quarterback's twice as good, basically Rodgers has 45 WAR over that time, uh, Stafford about 25. But it also showed to me, and this is a little bit more controversial, it just showed me how much better Matt LaFleur is than, uh, you know, than Sean McVay. I, LaFleur, you know, you look at this team and they've, they've, they've had so many players miss time. They've had their best player miss time. 
you know, in multiple, you know, that Rodgers and I think Adams is actually probably their best player. He missed time. And it doesn't fall apart. And you look at the, the L.A. Rams, and they lose Robert Woods, who I think is one of their better players, of yes. course. They lose Robert Woods. And the thing just falls apart, you know, completely. And I, I think it's a real testament to who the Packers are, who they've chosen to be their leaders, and, um, you know, how much different that is from the LA Rams. Well, and when they added Von Miller, right, one thing we all glossed over was, well, what, you know, they lost Sebastian Joseph Day, who's really important to what they do up front. And then they get OBJ, but they lose Robert Woods, who I've kind of visualized as, like, a much better version of Alan Lazard. Like, just plays a lot of important roles for that offense. His physicality... It, it affords them to do a lot of different things. And I don't think the Rams know who they are right now. I, I think they're just trying to accumulate stars and thinking they'll figure it out. And this is an analogy I use a lot, Eric, and I wanted to ask you about this because I have a buddy who's a teacher, um, and he seemed to agree with this. But an analogy that I use a lot when we talk about identity is if a student gets a bad grade on an assignment, I would wager that a lot of the time it's because the student didn't read the instructions and do what was asked of them. Right. And obviously, like some students are smarter than others or, or like laziness is a factor, too. But I, I don't think the Rams are a dumb student that doesn't know how to win football games. I think they are a student analogously that doesn't really know what they're trying to accomplish. Like you need to read the rubric and read the instructions and then winning and executing becomes a lot easier. And they just look like a mess right now while the Packers seem to know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I would even go a step further. I think it's I think they're the student trying to get they're the student trying really hard to get A's on individual projects without really learning the material. Ooh. You know, like, I I think the Packers are a team that's okay with getting a B on a test in, in, in the first part of the semester and maybe even okay with getting a B-plus for the course, um, but they're going to get the better job, you mm. know, because they learn the material better and they went about it properly. And, I, you know, I saw this a lot when I taught at UWL. And, you know, you have students who – they, they just, you know, they, they, they piece all the individual pieces together fine. They, they, they compartmentalize everything. And that's kind of like the Rams. The Rams have three players, four players, who have more than .47 war, which is, like, uh, you know, really high. But, like, as a team, when you add it all up, it's less than the sum of the parts. And I think, like, the learning example is just that. Like, getting A's on individual assignments, anybody can do that. But, like, you know, actually learning the material and actually understanding how everything relates to each other it is akin to, I think, building a, a solid football team, which is, I think that's what the Packers have. God, I love a good analogy. Thank you for that. We're talking with uh, Eric Eager at PFF Eric on Twitter. You can find him there, the Forecast Pod. It's really good. I'm glad you brought up Matt LaFleur. Um, I don't know how he compares to McVay or, or anybody else. The, the one thing that I've been thinking about with LaFleur, especially the last couple of weeks, is how he has overcome injuries or, uh, or players missing time due to COVID or tough scheduling, right, on a short week. And I've been thinking a lot about Brad Stevens, who coached the Celtics. And he was great at overachieving with a young, undermanned roster. When they were up against it, he would always get the best possible outcome. And, and I think Matt LaFleur has done the same. Brad Stevens' problem was when they were healthy and when they got the stars, they never really fully achieved their goals. And now I think of Matt LaFleur when they're at home against the Buccaneers in the playoffs. And they're the healthiest version of themselves, even without David Bakhtiari. They couldn't get over the hump. I think we both agree that Matt LaFleur is really good at keeping it all together, but we're all hoping that this team gets healthy and has some games maybe at home in the playoffs. What does he need to improve on this year that maybe he was lacking last year when they came up short? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the whole issue, right? Like, you look across uh, St. Croix or whatever, into the Twins. And nice. Kind of, you know, that, the Maurer decade, and, you know, where they would win 100 games, but they'd get swept by the Yankees because they didn't have, 
the number one starter, right? They were built for the regular season and not necessarily the playoffs. And I, I do worry if that's the case about the Packers where their ideal is still, you know, like it's weird, but like, you know, the Tampa Bay Bucks, you know, game for game are probably worse than the, the Packers, but mm-hmm. their ideal is a Super Bowl team, right? They're deep at wide receiver, they're deep in the secondary, they can rush the pass. Um, but, you know, but but they're, they're not consistent. But if they get, catch a run, of, of, of nice, you know, cards or whatever, they could win. Whereas I think the Packers are are resilient, right? They they have a wide receiver that you ninety percent of teams they face in the NFL, they have a wide receiver they can go to at any time for yeah. any amount of yards. But against the great teams, they don't have a second receiver that they can go to when the elite defense shuts them down. So that would be the thing I worry about. Um, but at the same time, as a math guy, like what if they lost two NFC Championship games under Lafleur? Like that's yeah. just two games. Like. Well, we'll see this January what ends up happening. We'll see. And I think we need to remind ourselves that he's doing this for the first time. Like, I hated that field goal decision in the NFC Championship game. I think most people did. But he's learning on the job, too. I'm interested to see once they all get healthy, what does it look like then? Because he's shown when Adams is out or when Rodgers misses time or or they deal with injuries or on a short week, he can hold it together. I want to see him bring it all together, hopefully with the healthiest version of this roster, which I guess uh, we don't really know what that might look like in a couple of weeks. Last thing I want to ask you about, Eric, and I've been wanting to get you on for maybe like two, three weeks to talk about this because I think this is a subject that you speak really well on. A.J. Dillon. I've been, I've been thinking about A.J. Dillon a lot and how I want to try to have this conversation with you. I think in the context of Packers fans, I'm a relative skeptic. Like my roommate is a Bears fan, and he always makes fun of me. He's like, why don't you believe in A.J. Dillon? The dude's a stud, right? He has him in fantasy, and he loves him, and he does make great plays. And I love the quads and the tough running and the cold weather, and I love that. But I feel like that's half the story. The other half is he's a second-round pick, and there are times, and I mean this in the most complimentary way. I don't mean this as a diss. There are times where he kind of runs like a glorified fullback, right? He had 25 touches for 90 yards on Sunday, and if they get a glorified fullback out of a second-round pick, I I don't know. I feel like that needs to be part of the conversation, too. How should we talk about A.J. Dillon as the Packers running back now in the second year of his career? Yeah, and I think we get a lot of flack at PFF. Now, I don't make the draft board, but I'll certainly I stand by our guys. Like yeah. he wasn't on our draft board, and so for him to be taken around two, that was a surprise for us. Uh, he certainly exceeded our expectations, and you know, you look at the data. I actually think he, you know, he's big and fast, so he's always going to look good in the running, you know, in our in our metrics, um, even if our scouts didn't like him. But but yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like he averages four point two yards per carry, and I know that's a little bit misleading because he's getting a lot of short yardage plays. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a little bit misleading, but he's not like, you know, he's not Jonathan Taylor. He's not Derrick Henry. Um, I I think he embodies a lot of, you know, the green Bay Packers culture, which is good. Um, He's not terrible catching the ball either. And I think, you know, um, you know, you know, pass protection, he's not so bad. So like, I don't think he's a bad pick, but like ultimately, you know, the second round pick on a running back, the guy's got to be Derrick Henry to, I think, mm-hmm. make sense. He's got to be a Dalvin Cook to make sense. And, you know, I don't even think it's much much of A.J. Dillon's fault so much as it's you draft him in round two and then you sign Aaron Jones to a veteran running back deal. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you set that draft pick up to fail. And, you know, the only reason he's getting on the field is because Jones has been hurt. And he's, again, like, you know, I, I just – I need to see a little bit more from him. So far, though, like, I think he's exceeded expectations 
relative to us, but maybe not a second round pick. Well, and I like as a fan, as a fan of the Packers, I think, okay, we'll use a running back or a pick on a running back in the second round. It's not ideal, but then again, they used one on Josh Jones or Josh Jackson. Like you could do a lot worse than AJ Dillon, even if he never turns out to be a superstar. You can pick a bust in the second round too. Um, another thing that I noticed today, Bill Barnwell put out a piece, and I'm sure you've at least read it or you, um, talking about running back contracts. Um, like Joe Mixon now, Aaron Jones, Cook, all the, you know, that batch. And the production from Dylan has actually been a little bit better if you look at run yards over expected. Jones just hasn't been very good for whatever reason. Now he's injured, so so we'll see. Um, what if we think about Jones, or not Jones, but Dylan as an idea rather than a player? And all, like almost as an affordance, like having A.J. Dylan, regardless of his individual stats or him as a player, it allows the Packers to do certain things to control the clock to play a different way does that carry any value to you if we look at dylan from that perspective yeah sure i yeah for sure and and to me i just think the issue is is in a lot of metrics that we care about like yards after contact he averaged three and a half last year which is great Mm -hmm. the last three games where he's gotten a chance to tote the rock 2.76 2.55 3.05 so even then in the stuff that running backs can control He's not necessarily up to what he's been even in the past when he had when he had fewer carries. And again, that's the promise of a big back is you give him the ball more, he becomes more efficient, you know, a la Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point about running back is interesting, right? There's a couple of things. Minnesota, you know, you, you've seen this. Even when you take a guy in the second round, you want to sign him to that big deal to justify the draft pick in the first place, right? Yes. That's why running backs, high, high drafted running backs are a bad idea because – when they don't hit, it obviously sucks. But when they do hit, it's eventually going to suck, as we've seen with all these guys that have gotten big contracts, Cook included. Um, that, that, to me, is why the investment at the position is just a little mind-boggling for Green Bay because, you know, the, the, very, the very guy that they just paid is an example of what you can do, even with modest draft capital with Aaron Jones in round five. Yeah, you can find guys later in the draft. And that's why, you know, when we talk about, like Rashawn Gary, for example, and I really like Rashawn Gary. I was, I've been skeptical, but I've really seen this year that he can be the guy the Packers drafted him to be. But anytime Packers fans would come at me last year, the year before, and it's like, well, this number's really good. I was like, well, wait, we need to evaluate him in the context of a top 12 pick and in the context of an elite outside edge rusher because he's going to have to be paid as such, right? So when you draft certain yep. guys in certain spots, you need to judge them through the lens of what they're ultimately going to be worth when you want to keep them on your roster. And you don't want to let first and second round guys go um, – right away i wasn't planning on asking you about this but one more question eric eager before i'll let you go uh i saw a tweet and i saved it and we were talking about earlier this week with stafford to kind of round out the show and this brings in the bears too somebody tweeted a list of players the last couple of years who have been acquired for multiple first round picks so jamal adams laramie tunsil mm-hmm. jalen ramsey stafford khalil mack maybe rogers could be traded that's a situation with multiple first rounders um deshaun watson Where's your stance on that? Because I think it's a fascinating topic. It's easy to say we won the trade, we got the star, but I didn't really realize years down the road, these really haven't panned out like maybe we thought at first. No, and then my favorite team took uh, traded a one and a two for Frank Clark. That's right. <laughs> you know, and even yeah. though we won a Super Bowl, it, it you know the, the 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 cost is just too immense, right? That's the whole thing. It's it, you know, and I, I yeah, and you talk about betting on your show a little bit. Uh, a first round draft pick is the equivalent of of uh, Picking a taking a team on a pickup minus one ten, mm-hmm. right? It, it's fifty fifty. It might not hit, but it doesn't cost that much. Trading two first round picks for a veteran is like basically betting them minus six hundred, right? And so mm-hmm. yes, you're more likely to win, but when you lose, you're 
laying six to, to win one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's the hard part when you look at Jamal Adams. Like, the, the Seahawks are going to be picking in the top ten. No, they're not. Actually, that's the Jets who are yeah. going to be picking in the top ten <laughs> because this pick failed. You know, you know, Kansas City's wanted – I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs have been kicking themselves for not being able to cut Frank Clark after year one of that trade. And, and so, yeah, for every Jalen Ramsey, there's a Matt Stafford. For every Khalil Mack, there's a and, – and to me, like, I just don't think the hit rate is high enough to justify it because, you know, changing teams is risky, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just a risky gamble uh, masquerading as a sure thing. Well, and something you brought up on your podcast, the one that came out yesterday, and I'd recommend everyone go listen, right – like, it's the same with parlays. Like, the odds might be really good that you hit, but you don't have an unlimited number of draft picks to bet. Like, if you're really rich, you have a lot more money to, to throw around and make individual bets. Also, value is important. Like, if you look at Jamal Adams, what would Trevon Morwig or Morwig or what's his name? Like, the one safety that went in the, the draft last year, he was barely in the first round. I don't even remember where he went. So, you're trading two first-round picks for a position that wasn't even prioritized with one pick in the first round. Like, you need to factor in what things cost. Yeah. Absolutely, and I'm sure teams will keep doing it, and it'll be interesting to follow. Eric, I've kept you too long, but I really, really appreciate you. Have an excellent Christmas, and if you're journeying back to Minnesota or Toma and and seeing family, uh, travel safely. And, of course, I want to talk to you soon. Thank you, as always. Always a pleasure, Grant. Thanks for having me on, and uh, looking forward to the the games this weekend. Heck yeah. Eric Eager, appreciate it. That's uh, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. The Forecast Pod is excellent. Read his work. Uh, Why don't we talk about the article that he put out today? Because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, Blocked runs and blocked passes and the value that they carry. And maybe we can apply this. Yeah, well, definitely we can apply this to the Packers with their passing game and their running game. And then at 5 o'clock, I want to switch it up completely. We're going to switch topics, and I want to get into baseball because now we have a lockout and the Brewers made a trade. So we'll switch things up at 5 o'clock. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. All right, let's shift to this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, going to get into baseball in a few minutes, I promise. We've done NBA, college basketball, NFL, Packers. And a chat with Eric Eager, who's always excellent. If you missed that, you can find it on the pod. I'll get it posted just after 6 o'clock. We're going to get into baseball in a few minutes, I promise. Because it's a huge story, and the Brewers made a huge trade. It's perfect. It fits their MO perfectly, and I can't wait to talk about it. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. Before we reset the show and get an update from our great, my best friend, Zach Heilprin, um, I want to share with you some data that our previous guest, the aforementioned Eric Eager, Posted this morning, and if you have a PFF subscription, you can read it. If you don't, here's what you should do. Find his forecast pod, Spotify. The video of it is on YouTube, too, and they explain it in depth. This data study that shows the efficacy of run plays and pass plays, right? So basically what he studied is if a run play is executed perfectly, if everything goes exactly perfectly, every block is hit, every seal is clean, the handoff is clean, what's the result? right, versus a pass. If everything is clean and everything is perfect, what's the result, right? Well, what we learned and what Eric has written about is that when you have a run play with zero poor blocks, everything hits and everything is perfect, it's the most efficient offense in the NFL. There's nothing better than it. If you can block up everyone perfectly and scheme it perfectly and everything is graded perfectly, it's the most efficient offense in the NFL. But if one of those blocks, just one, 
goes south, the success rate drops by like 25, 35, 40%. So essentially, if a running play is perfectly executed, there's nothing better. It's absolutely the best. But if just one thing goes wrong, it tanks. It's really volatile, right? And what he learned and what he studied and shared about passing offense is when everything goes perfectly in a passing play, the best case scenario, it's still not as good as the best case scenario in the run game. But in the passing game, if one block goes south, the whole thing doesn't go south. It's much more resilient, right? It's not as volatile. So this this has been fascinating for me to think about, right? You can call run play, run play, run play, run play, and the odds that on any given play that you're going to execute it perfectly and nail every block, those odds are pretty low. So if the offensive linemen aren't executing and aren't hitting their blocks, even if it's just one blocker, as the study tells us can make all the difference, is it the offensive line's fault for not getting it blocked up? Or is it the play caller's fault for expecting everything to be perfect on every play? Something interesting to chew on, right? So the best version of a running play, there's nothing better. And the best version of a passing play, pretty good, but not as good as running. But when one thing goes wrong, passing offense is much more resilient. And that's what we've seen with the Packers, right? Great example from the Rams game. A.J. Dillon had, I think, 25 touches for 90 yards. He wasn't busting anything for big plays. I think his biggest gain was eight yards. And that's because the Packers' offensive line is a little banged up, and they're going against Aaron Donald and Von Miller and really good players up front. But in the passing game, much more control. You can kind of fly by the seat of your pants because you can get the ball out quickly. Aaron Rodgers, the ball is coming out in less than two and a half seconds at a higher clip than ever before when he's been in Matt LaFleur's offense. And that's interesting. The passing game, much more controllable, much less volatile if only one or two things goes wrong. And I found that really, really interesting. So go find that if you want to read it. It's in his podcast as well. That's the work of Eric Eager. Let's take a break. We'll get into baseball. Brewers coming up next. Mike Clements, not too far away as well. I'll just find a silver lining here to quote P.J. Fleck. Badgers fans, we might not be headed to Indy, but you know what? We're co-Big Ten runners up. Let's hold our heads high. Those who stay will be champions. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I think I need to step my game up and get Andrew Wagner tomorrow. We need to get some baseball people tomorrow. Let's get wet and wild. Let's do baseball, baseball, baseball. Brewers made a trade. There's a bunch going on with the MLB lockout. And by the way, it's not the Major League Baseball, like the MLB. Like, it's just Major League Baseball. But they're running into grammar issues I see on social media. The MLB lockout. The Major League Baseball lockout. The, the article is attached to lockout, not the MLB, not the Major League Baseball. It's just Major League Baseball. This is weird. It's just bothering me. I shouldn't have brought it up. Tomorrow, we should get a guest. Does anyone know a lawyer that's negotiated between labor unions and an employer? Does anyone know one? Come on. It's, it takes a village here to, to book a show. We're all producers, every one of you. Who knows a lawyer that could add to this conversation? Let me know. 608-796-2558. Or tweet at me, follow me, or DM me if you want to keep that on the DL. It's okay. We all know a good lawyer for when we need one. We hope we never have to use him, but I, I get it. If you want to keep that private, you can DM me. My 
DMs are open as well. At Wisco Grant on Twitter. This is the Wisco Sports Show. We're going to get into some baseball. And we will talk more Packers. We're going to talk to Mike Clemens coming up at 530 on some bye week stuff. Because I, I what did he tell us on Tuesday? He's going to give us some. He didn't explicitly say human interest stories. But that's what I heard. Like, what are these guys doing? What are they up to? Or in the case of injuries, right, what are guys going to be doing on their off time? And that'll be something we can talk about with Mike at 530. Right now, I want to do baseball, and I would love to chat with you as well. Mike in downtown Madison is calling in. Mike, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. How are you? I'm swell. My back hurts, but I'm getting through it. Yeah, I heard that uh, last night on the show. I didn't even uh, really have time to tune in, but I did uh, I did hear about the uh, injury. Ben did a bang-up job. I actually called in, and we talked Badgers for like 20 minutes. I was just stuck on my couch. I was fine. I just I couldn't move. <laughs> I couldn't get to the studio. Well, I'm glad you're all right now. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, uh, hey, I just wanted to ask you real quick. What did I miss? Uh, I was really busy earlier uh, taking a nap. Mm-hmm. So what was I? What did I miss on the uh, uh, basketball, Badgers basketball talk? I mean, I for big overarching takes, I, I mean, it's so early. I think my one is that this team is really fun, and they have fun playing together, and maybe it's because they don't know how good or bad they are yet. You know what I mean? Like, I asked Zach Heilprin last week, I was like, is this team any good? And we went back and forth for a few minutes, but basically the consensus was, well, we're not quite sure yet, but they're really having fun playing together. And that was what Greg Gard said in the locker room. He's like, man, you guys are fun to watch. You're fun to play. I don't know. They play with confidence. And even if it's naiveness, naivete, because they don't know how good or bad they are, it's fun. That's, I think, kind of what I said. Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch. I, you know, watched the game last night, and I, I, they beat a fairly decent uh, Georgia Tech team, you know, that mm-hmm. um, won the um, ACC championship last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and – you know, I mean, I like that they – I wanted to just touch on the fact that they have a number two, which is kind of showing up in Davison right now. Um, you know, uh, Davis only had three points in the second half last night. Um, he kind of struggled a little bit after halftime. So, um, it was nice to see that comp. You know, when mm-hmm. he kind of went down a little bit, well, you had someone there, you know, pulling that range because we know basketball, everyone has those bad nights. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think that – they have a decent challenge, obviously, on Saturday against Marquette. Um, but I think that when they get into that Big Big Ten play, um, you know, down low in the post and stuff like that, that, you know, I mean, they're going to play IU the week after that. And Jackson Davis for IU is just a menace. He is. He's um, really, really good. He's very, very, very good. Um, I mean, he was sensational. I had 31 points against Syracuse the other night. Um, and just he's just – fantastic down low you can't you cannot box him out at all no um so that's i think that's going to be a really really good challenge for them and that that might be the best measuring point when they play iu hey is this a real team or is iu just gonna you know play them very very well which i you know i don't think i use the greatest this year um that, and that why that's why i mean that might be a good measure well, when do they when do they go against big bruising centers? Like I think of Kofi Coburn in the Big Ten, or, or players like him, right? Maybe not NBA bigs, but just dudes that are tough to move. Because the size on this team is young and inexperienced. That's the one thing that well, I think they might yeah. realize when they get to Big well, Ten. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. You know, that's why I'm highlighting Jackson Davis. I mean, the guy is just absolutely huge. Uh, mm-hmm. They play they play IU. Uh, they play Jackson Davis. I think on the 
7th. It's uh, at, the, it's next week. The 8th. You got it. I'm looking at the schedule right now. I'm cheating. The 8th. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that should be, you know, can they can they, can they they play him down low? That's I think that's a, that's a huge question. I think so, too. Good call, Mike. We got to chat some baseball, yep. I think, which I'm – uh, the lockout talk. It's not chat my favorite. Some, but chat some baseball, it. man. It's not my, not my sport, so I'm going <laughs> to let you go and ha- have a good one. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for the call. That's Mike in downtown Madison. I remember last summer when this, you know, the pandemic was different last summer because we very much still live in a pandemic, but we've normalized it by choice. I don't think we had to. I think we chose to normalize it and just live with it. Um, but I think back early last summer, late spring, when life very much did not feel normal. We, we become normalized and desensitized to this and just kind of living with, with the reality. But last year, I mean, sports were shut down. Everything was shut down. It, it very much did not feel normal. Um, even if it doesn't feel 100% normal now, certainly it does more than it did a year ago. And we didn't have anything to talk about. Like every day, two hours, nothing except for Major League Baseball labor talks. And it sucked because I was, I was studying up on contracts and legalese and clauses and statutes, and it was just the it's just the worst, right? As it's not my forte. Believe it or not, I'm I'm no lawyer here. I'm not a doctor either. Let's just blanket statement. Uh, I'll I'll speak to my my weaknesses. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to spend months updating on the latest offer from the owners. Well, now the the PA has countered. I don't want to. This is all so stupid, and I hate spending valuable time. Of which let's be honest. Okay, I have a lot of time, but I I like being lazy. I like my lazy time too. I don't like spending time researching things that I don't care about. I don't care about legal arguments between the PA and Major League Baseball. I don't. So I don't know how much we're going to dwell on this, but it is an important storyline. It's the first breakage in, what would it be, play? It's not a breakage in play, but it's a lockout. It counts, right? The players are out of the facilities. They took their pictures off the websites. It's so stupid. It's the first time this has happened in 25 years. The Parts of this I get. Right, so the players want minimum salaries for teams. Absolutely. I think there should be a uh, spending floor for all teams. Otherwise, sell the team. If you, don't want to, if you don't want to at least do the bare minimum to keep your team competitive, sell the team. Give it to someone else. All right, I get that. Earlier arbitration. I think the arbitration process is dumb. I think other sports, it's so much simpler and easier to understand. I get baseball. Like, why are we dragging this into the court? I think it's dumb. But players who are superstars making money earlier, that's always a good thing. Less revenue sharing, again, I love it because some teams don't pull their weight. Some teams hate spending, and they should be penalized for it. If you don't want to compete and your team's no good, why do the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Brewers have to kick money to you because they have a good team that they invested in and their fans are coming to watch? I agree with all of that. I agree with all that the players want. Some of this I don't understand. I don't understand why, because these two parties couldn't reach a compromise point in time, they were, they were chasms apart. We had to start a lockout. Well, why didn't you start negotiating sooner? Like, it's the same thing every time our government shuts down or we have issues. It's like, well, the clock is running out. It's like, well, what were you doing for the last year? We've all known that this is a deadline. The World Series has been done since October. What, what, what have you been doing? Uh, I can't wait to start negotiations next month. Why don't you start them earlier so you can make progress? Can weed through it? Also, the whole lockout thing is so stupid. Why do you have to lock out players? You could negotiate while continuing off-season programs, especially for players that need access to facilities because they're rehabbing an injury and they need access to equipment and trainers and technology. It's so stupid. Rob Manfred, this is a direct quote, said yesterday, the lockout is necessary 
because the Players Association's vision for Major League Baseball would threaten the ability of teams to be competitive. Oh, really? So locking all of the players out of the facilities is going to help competitive balance? Go piss up a rope. I Like, as opposed to an owner, an owner forced lockout, right, which makes this way worse. That's what bothers me. So it's like, well, their their vision, well, nobody will be competitive under that. Okay, so you're going to lock all the doors to make 100% sure that no one's competitive? This is so stupid. And players are unhappy. Could get it. They think this is very one-sided. I was reading quotes from the union's lead negotiator. His name is Bruce Meyer. This is the quote. Players feel like the system has gotten out of whack and really gone too far in favoring the owners. This is what I'll never understand. Bruce, then you've done a terrible job negotiating for your union. This is the this is the biggest thing that blows my mind. And I've obviously never been a part of a labor union, right? I, like, I don't really work in that realm. But if it's balanced towards the other side, don't get mad at the other side, right? Ask your, ask your labor director, like, how the hell are you letting us get bent over like this, dude? Fix it. We demonize the other side. It's so dumb. Big Joe is called in, 608-796-2558. Big Joe, you don't villainize anyone. What's going on? No, absolutely. Grant Mills, how are you living, buddy? How's your back? Oh, it hurts, but we got a lot to talk about today, and it's been a fun, interesting show, so I'm content. Right. Grant, I'm doing I, – I guess I'm doing mixed, and here's why, buddy. Okay. Um, first, things, first things first, I'll start with this, and I'll end with a sports take for you. So, first thing, I was named Employee of the Week at work, so that's a very good thing. Good job. Um, secondly, yeah, my dog has surgery tomorrow, so I'm a little worried about him, but oh. I mean, that, that makes sense. He's, he's my best friend and I've had him ever since my dad passed in 2011. So, I mean, it's my best friend and he'll be all right. He seems normal, but hopefully everything will work out tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, Grant, if I may know, I'll end on the good note with the sports take, uh, Let's hear it. the baseball streak, buddy. Yeah. I just, I have mixed feelings on this. Like, I think the players are overpaid in baseball to begin with. And I wonder what it's going to do, like, with me being a huge fan of minor league baseball. Like, will I be able to go to Beloit this year and watch the Sky Carp, I mean, the Snappers play? I mean, I hope to get to a Brewers-Padres game this year. Those are my two favorite teams. And yeah. me and my buddy were talking about the other night when we were having dinner and having a couple of adult sodas. We want to tailgate this summer. Come on. No, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, if this goes into the season, I'm going to be pissed. Okay? You have months you have months to get this done. I get there's a lot exactly, to negotiate like, through, but, we, like, come on. Exactly. What are we going to do What are we gonna do during the spring and summer? I mean, yeah, we'll have the hockey playoffs. We'll have the, the NBA playoffs. We'll have the NFL draft. What are we going to have otherwise? Like, a person like me, I'm a competitive walker. I'll have to sit in my walk in May. But other than that, I'm not going to have anything. It's like, give me my baseball. Come on. It's America's game. <sighs> it's America's game. It's our national pastime, Big Joe. I'm going to be ticked if they can't figure it out. Hey, thanks for the call, buddy. Good luck tomorrow with your with your pup. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, have a good hey. one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, have a good one. Big Joe, I turned you down a little early. Sorry, buddy. 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant as well. Ooh, Mike Clemens has just tweeted me, uh, hyping up our segment. Whoa, listen to this. Tease. This is a tease. Hungry for a new hero? I'll introduce you to one. And he's currently on the Packers roster. Coming up at 535 with Grant Bills. On the Wisco Sports Show. Ooh, Mike. Get a new hero. All right. Well, that's something positive to look forward to. Yeah, with these labor strikes. Why why, why are you blaming the players here, Big Joe? They want too much? This is, ah, this is dumb. Then, then here's, what I, here's what I side with with the players, okay? Minimum salaries for teams. You need to spend a certain amount of money. There needs to be a floor. 
Otherwise, sell the team. The solution is simple. It's like Robert Sarver with the Suns. And now he might have to sell his team for different reasons. But it's like, why do you own the team if you're just going to let it sit there and rot? There are, you just invest the money. There's, there's better ways to take the money you already have and parlay it into more money than owning a sports team, especially when all your fans hate you and the community that you own the team in hates you. And now you're like this weirdo, racist, sexist guy that's always talking about your junk, so you're going to have to sell the team. Just, just sell the team. If you don't want to do the bare minimum to help keep your team competitive, then sell it. And maybe, just maybe, a bare minimum spending floor, maybe that would do the trick. I don't know. I really like the idea of less revenue sharing. As weird as it sounds, I think revenue sharing should be earned, right? I get that the Yankees are going to make more money. They play in a bigger market. They have their own TV network. Same with the Cubs. Same with the Dodgers. That's geographical. That's how the sport works. But the Rockies, who are poor and mismanaged and poor, literally, they don't spend any money. Why should they be able to sit back and wait for the money to come down the river from the Yankees or from the Cubs? If you want to get butts in seats, put a good team on the field. And I get revenue sharing is important because there are a lot of economic imbalances between some of these teams. But part of that is competitive as well. So fix the competitive part of it because you have too many owners that just don't want to spend because they don't care about winning. When that gets solved, then I think some of these other issues will solve too. And I love that Rob Manford came out today and was like, well, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can say free agency is broken. Look at all the money that's been spent the last couple of days. Yeah, because the lockout is looming, you doofus. Of course they're going to sign a deal because we don't know when we're going to play baseball next. But thank you, Rob. Why don't you patronize your fan base a little bit? Oh, yeah, that's right. You're trying to get TikTok kids to watch your game by adding a pitch clock and a mound visit. Mound visits. I'm shocked that it got to this point. I thought the mound visit counter would would keep the sport and keep the labor piece afloat for centuries to come. You're telling me the mound visit limit didn't do it? Wow. Wow. Color me shocked. You can see that coming. Brewers make a trade. Why don't we talk about that next? Mike Clemens coming up at 5.30. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant bills mike clements will be here in 10 minutes we really haven't talked about this brewers trade at all yet we talked about the lockout we hit the packers we did our nba thing we did the college basketball and the badgers brewers traded jackie bradley jr got hunter renfro in return gave up a couple of prospects but saved some money in the process very david stearns this this has got david stearns written all over it so why don't we talk about that for a few minutes and, of course, here to help us, here to chime in, uh, one of our big Brewers callers. Contributors. You're a contributor, Binksy. Binks, what's going on? Welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks. I appreciate that title, Grant. Yeah. Uh, what, I wanted to, what I really wanted to do, first and foremost, is uh, I had a dropped call from you uh, last week. I wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Um, oh. Whatever that subject was about that I called, <laughs> I forgot about it by now, so <laughs> moving on. I do have a really big favor to ask of you um i've got a nephew his name he is turning 12 today he is one of the biggest brewer fans he's one of the mm. biggest christian yelich fans you will uh ever meet he's a huge green bay packer fan and if you could give him a shout out his name is none other than rowdy and he is mm. the new brewer first baseman's uh biggest fan so uh, if you could give a shout-out to him, I would 
very much appreciate it. I would be a happy uncle. And as far as that trade, it's got my big stamp of approval. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but like I said, the biggest business is being a good uncle and asking you if you could. Uh, he's got a, He's got you. You're, you're li- he's listening on the WKTY app. So, oh, he's a smart um, man. He's a smart man. He's got okay. that app downloaded. Good. All right. Good. All right. Thanks, Pixie. So please. <laughs> All right. Take care. I can I can give that shout out. Thank you. And happy retroactive Thanksgiving to you as well. I forgot that you dropped off last week. Good memory. See, this is what I always say. Everyone's a producer. Everyone this is a responsibility of everyone here to make sure that the show keeps humming. I can't do it by myself. Are you kidding me? I can barely put my socks on this morning. Rowdy, the nephew of Binks. Happy birthday. Maybe going into break, I can we can sing happy birthday. We're gonna sing right now. But happy birthday. Maybe we'll sing a song here in a few minutes. Well, this this trade has a big stamp of Binks' approval, and that's good enough for me. I don't know much about the Red Sox. Hunter Renfro is a name that I know only because he has the same name as Hunter Renfro, who plays in the NFL, and then every time I see him, I was like, wait, there's a Hunter Renfro in baseball, too? So I know him for that reason. So they gave up JBJ and Prospects, and I got a text here from the mayor in New Glarus, and I, I get what you're thinking. He said, yeah, what's up with this trade? Are these minor leaguers pretty good? Oh, I'm just wondering because of the contract of Bradley. Yeah, I think there's a couple factors at play. They did have to give up some prospects. They gave up some scratch to help facilitate this deal. And I think they're probably reasonable prospects. I don't think they're throwaways. I don't think they're studs. But I think they're worthwhile. I also think it helps that they have experience with JBJ. They're like, well, we'll bring him back. Like when the Brewers brought back Travis Shaw. You know, like, what the heck? Why not? The Brewers executing this deal, this is the most David Stearns thing ever, right? They trade one player or replace one player with another who's cheaper, who has more team control, right? It's just, and on and on we go. This just keeps going. This is the story of David Stearns. We have a team that we like, and instead of playing out the string with that team, right, when one player is approaching free agency or when one player gets a little too pricey, what we do, we're going to trade that person, and we're going to replace him with someone who's a little cheaper and who we have more control over, maybe more options, right, just a more flexible, malleable player. Right? That's what David Stearns does. Got two years of control with Hunter Renfro, and he makes about $7 million. Jackie Bradley Jr. is making about 12 I didn't realize that this guy hit as many home runs as he did. He averages 36 homers per 162. He hit 259 in 2021. So basically, the way I see it, he's replacing Avi Garcia. I don't think he's... Well, nobody... I could replace JBJ. JBJ didn't, he didn't do anything. <laughs> But Hunter Renfro can maybe replace some of that production of Avi Garcia, and you hope that Yelich isn't as terrible last year uh, as he's going to be this year. Like, you get a little bit of something from Yelich, you get Hunter Renfro, and hopefully you can keep that outfield afloat. And I was listening to our buddy Bart Winkler. This was earlier this week. And he maybe started to think that the Brewers missed their window, and their window has closed. And maybe to win a World Series, it has. I'm not going to go so far as to say that because they have an unreal rotation. And if Christian Yelich plays like an MVP, I think they could win the title just off of that alone, right? But I I have thought, you know, in the last couple of weeks, it's like, well, at some point, this, this iteration of the Brewers has to come to an end. Maybe they don't tear it all down, but they need to reload. They're always reloading on the fly. Always. They're always getting slightly cheaper here, getting more team control here, more options here little bit, you know, cut and payroll, a little bit there. I don't think this is going to be an all-in to then tear it down completely in a year or two. I think this is going to be constant little maintenance on the roster here and there. Hunter Renfro might stink. 
He might be an all-star. But whatever result comes this season doesn't change the fact that this is really sound process from David Stearns. And it's the process that he's been using to keep this roster fresh and keep it competitive and to keep it strong the last couple of years, despite the Brewers not really having as much money to spend as some of the other contenders in the National League. They're always looking to get cheaper, get younger, get more team control, and just keep things going. It's like we're bailing water out of the boat as we go, right? Just keep sailing down the river, and it's some bend here in the river. Hopefully, we win a World Series. If Renfro is great, awesome. If he's terrible, oh well. This is the process that Stearns should follow. And we said this during the Bucks playoff run. I think I've said this in relation to the Packers as well. Good process is more important than good results. I'm reading the mid-range theory by Seth Partnow right now. He's been a guest on the show. He used to work analytics for the Bucks, And he's talking about good process and good results. They talked about the process of bringing in Brooke Lopez to the Bucks, And we're like, well, we liked this number. And this made us optimistic. And this was good. But also then he got here. And he was way better than we ever thought. And that was all luck, right? So the result, it was lucky, or it was unlucky, or it was average, or it was below average, right? The results are the results. That's secondary. What teams can control and what general managers control is the process with which they acquire talent. And if you have a correct process, you're going to hit on more of these than not. Look at the Brewers. Avi Garcia was great for them. Christian Yelich overall has been great for them. Remember, he was an acquisition. It's not like they brought him up. They targeted him and added him. They added Avi Garcia, right? What other outfielders? They added Lorenzo Cain. They added Jackie Bradley Jr. Now, most of those additions worked. One did not. Jackie Bradley Jr. But because they've followed sound process on this outfield that they've spent a lot of resources on, they've hit on 9 of 10, 8 of 10, 70%, right? They're hitting on most of these swings that they take. That's how sports work. You can't hit on everybody, but if you have the right process, you're going to hit on more often than you miss. Hunter Renfro, whether he hits 40 homers or whether he hits 12, this follows the sound process that David Stearns uses, and that's good enough for me. We'll see how it plays out. You cross your fingers and hope it's a home run, literally, or maybe like 40 home runs because they need to replace Avi Garcia's production. Let's take a break. We'll get Mike Clements on the horn, talk Packers as we are in the midst of their bye week. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Second and six. Off. And again, it's Dylan. Dylan breaking a tackle. Look at him stay balanced. Finally, Wagner just throws him down in frustration. Getting the crowd going with a simple flat route, but this didn't just happen right now. Great job by Dylan. He's playing. That was a great play. Really cool to see. That was a byproduct of controlling the game and having a defense that's so tired they can't quite finish. I really genuinely i couldn't tell you how many rushing yards i have how many passing yards or any of that stuff each week i set goals for myself i keep accomplishing those i'm getting more comfortable you know that for me is the ultimate goal to just go out there and be you know trusted by my teammates and when i see guys coming over and they're like good job or i'm proud of you like that really does mean a lot aj dylan you know it's funny talking about trust and affirmation from teammates i think yash nyman too where Aaron Rodgers said, yeah, I didn't even have to worry about the left side of the offensive line. These guys are talking each other up, at least the last week, as they took on the Rams and gave them quite the smack at Lambeau. And Mike Clemens, our next guest, was there for it. Mike, that's got to be about as good of a win as you can get. NFC contender who's added a bunch of players, 
and they think they're the odds-on favorite, and you're going into the bye week and you're able to win, I don't know that it gets much better, right? I think the biggest thing I took away was that Matt LaFleur and his staff, Joe Barry, you mm-hmm. know, worked for Sean McVay. They outcoached McVay and his staff. And, and, you know, the better players came up. It was a game of inches. I mean, there's that pass to Devontae Adams in one of the first drives mm-hmm. for a first down that goes between the hands of Aaron Donald, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, within inches. Um, there's all kinds of little plays throughout that Rams game where the Packers, you know, they got it by an inch or two. Uh, and and so at one point it's a little humbling, but the other point is is that at the end of the day they were the more physical team. They seemed to just hustle more. Uh, Matthew Stafford was hot and cold. One minute he's hitting Van Jefferson for 79 yards downfield. The next minute he's completely overthrowing a guy wide open on a first down. And, 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 and of course, you don't know if it's because of some of his injuries with the back and the elbow and those kinds of things. But yeah. on the list of things that really are going on during the bye week right now, it's important to note, you know, Rasul Douglas, NFC Defensive Player of the Week, with his pick, his four deflected passes, what a great story he's been coming off the Cardinals practice squad and filling in with Jair gone and Stokes missing the one game with the Chiefs. And he's the first defensive back for the Packers to get that honor, NFC Defensive Player of the Week, since 2010 and Charles Woodson, the Super Bowl year, the one the year they won the Super Bowl. Right now you hope that Matt LaFleur is uh, picking up his two boys from school, something he probably normally doesn't get to do, and then after school tomorrow, maybe it's a quick trip to some indoor water resort in the Dells for he and his wife and the kids so that he can have some true family time. That's really what they're trying to stress over this next couple of days. The personnel department, in the meantime, they're now, now that the college regular season is over with, they're looking at their roster and say, okay, who are we bringing back, who aren't we bringing back, and who do we have to replace those guys with in the draft? What, tar- what players do we need to target in some of these bowl games. Randall Cobb has got the groin injury. It was It's very uh, concerning mm-hmm. that they didn't put him back out there in the second half in a big game like that. I haven't seen or heard anything else except that he's seeking other opinions. We won't find out about that until we get back into the building next week. And then as for Aaron Rodgers, he's going every day for treatment with the toes. He seems to be on a path to know what he's going to do. And now you got this story with the Buccaneers three other players being suspended for three games by the NFL by violating yeah. the league's COVID protocols. Antonio Brown and his fake COVID card, you know, that he was busted by his chef. <laughs> and Mike yeah. Edwards, one of their safeties, and a third player that actually was recently released as a defensive back. Three game suspensions for those guys because they're not following. Now, people are bringing in Aaron Rodgers' name, like, well, how come Rodgers didn't get suspended? Well, Rodgers, they did a two-month investigation. They find him fourteen and a half grand, uh, as well as Alan Lazard and the team three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That's a shut case. You yeah, know, it's it's not to be compared. And the difference is Aaron Rodgers was talking to the team and to the league about well, here's here's how I decided to get you know the treatments. Yeah. And the league reviewed it, and after a while said, no, you're <laughs> just going to be you're going down as unvaxed. Yeah, that's a different story than a fake card. Well, and if there's players that I'm gonna get on my soapbox for and defend. I don't know that Antonio Brown is at the top of that list. Like, I don't know if he Probably gets much not. benefit of the doubt. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. So to cleanse the palate, yeah. 
to, to make people feel good on a Thursday afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, bye week for the Packers, let's talk about A.J. Dillon, Quadzilla. Yes. Because here's, here's a guy who, he's, you know, his senior year he broke his leg after having these, this great sophomore and junior in high school. And you wonder how many teams, you know, colleges turn their backs. He managed to get into Boston College, though, and still distinguish himself and become a second-round pick. And so if we can, I just wanted to introduce folks to this conversation we had with A.J. Dillon about 10 days ago on what it's like being an active player. And we saw him standing in line that morning that they were selling Packer uh, shares. Mm-hmm. You know, new, they had a new shareholders open thing. over. There's he standing in line with the rest of these fans for 25 minutes buying some stocks. So we asked him, what's it like being now an active player who now owns a share of your team? It is definitely nice to be uh, technically self-employed. Uh, I think Aaron Jones also got some ownership. Maybe Kirk Ben Kirk, I saw, but you know that's really cool. I mean, uh, this is practically a shareholders meeting, isn't it? <laughs> How long did you have to wait in line? I was up early, so I waited probably like 25 minutes. But I saw some people were in there for some time. <laughs> I don't know. When was the last time stock? It's been a while, right? Can you remember players buying stock? in the past or is this something new and maybe it's just because it hasn't happened in a while but i was kind of no. surprised the players were jumping in and doing this it's really cool yeah no i i don't remember doing that story before or from offensive linemen or anybody else like that but you know here's this dylan this kid's only he's only 23 years old yeah and he's on schedule grant you know this is his second year it's november football and look what he did against the rams the other night Look at when he that play there in the second half when he just rolled over that safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a tap. I mean, that guy weighs that guy weighs two twenty, and he just he crushed him, knocked him over, and comes up with ninety yards, you know, combined with the the passing and the running game, chipping away. He's right on schedule as to where they wanted him to replace Jamal Williams and to help carry the load for Aaron Jones. And so he was asked about how did he find out about the Packers shareholders sale. I saw. Uh... I just saw it kind of on the social media thing going when it was announced. And I was like, oh, this would be really fun. And honestly and truly, uh, who else? I mean, outside the Green Bay Packers, like how many other people can say they're owner, regardless of how significant it is? It's so cool to, you know, have your name in whatever part, whatever, I guess, way, uh, you know, be attached to this franchise. It's so historical, so many traditions and things like that. And so I think for me, it was really cool to think, yeah, I'm a player, and you know, one day I'm gonna tell my kids, and my grandkids, yeah, I played here. But hey, when I, I'm also an owner. <laughs> just, just fun stuff like that. So it's awesome. AJ Dillon understands why this is cool and significant. Whereas it seems like every time the Packers stock sale comes up, there's journalists and there's people from around the country like, well, it's not really ownership. It's like, well, we get it. AJ Dillon's 23, and he seems to grasp what so many people can. Yeah, and imagine now he just he just finished his run at Boston College. Mm-hmm. And now he gets the phone call from the Green Bay Packers. He's taken in the second round. And listen to what he did the next day after finding out, okay, I'm going to Green Bay. He, he, he starts educating himself about the franchise. Yeah, I can see. I mean, the plan is. Wait, I got the wrong one, Mike. Sorry, here we go. The next day, the next morning after I got drafted, I watched a huge documentary on, there's some documentary on YouTube. It's like two hours long, and it's just all the, uh, Packers facts and everything and there's this part where they go through the town they're interviewing all these owners and I just thought it was the coolest thing so I knew that it was 
an opportunity. I didn't know when it would ever happen again or if it would happen again, but when I saw it, it was definitely something I wanted to, you know, be a part of. That's really cool that he took the time to watch a documentary about the team that drafted him. I don't know that many players would do that. Like, he wanted to fully embrace the team that he ended up on. That's, that's pretty cool. I can tell you that doesn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the things you actually can do as a shareholder when you show up to that meeting in the summer and Mark Murphy and the board is up there is, you know, technically you get to, you get to vote on the, the new controlling board of directors mm-hmm. you, as, as a shareholder. And so, so A.J. was asked, wow, so now that you're a shareholder, I mean, could you see yourself as maybe someday a, a member of the Packers board of directors? Yeah, I could see. I mean, the plan is, uh, you know, regardless of, you know, football, wherever it may take me or may not take me, uh, I'm going to be a Green Bay guy for life. So, um, yeah, definitely. I could be in the future. Definitely a mayor somewhere. <laughs> I mean, why not? Like, why not? I feel like if he keeps this up for years, yeah, he's definitely be on the board. Are you kidding me? Like, he's checking all the boxes. I feel like people would love it. Yeah, and he, and he said there, yeah, he wants to be mayor somewhere. And yeah. half kidding, half serious. Uh, he talked about how weird was it as a rookie last year to fly in from the Boston College area into Green Bay set up a place, um, met this girl who's now his fiance. but he talked about, you know, the pandemic at, at the height of the lockdown last year, mm-hmm. arriving in Green Bay last May, around his birthday, in a pandemic, places a ghost town after he got drafted by Green Bay. I got drafted, once again, I don't know the exact date, but I think April 26th, and I moved out here three days later. And uh, in the middle of COVID, nothing was open. Uh, you couldn't even go to get anything to get or anything like that, but... Moved in, had no furniture. Actually, my birthday was May 2nd, so I knew nobody. I celebrated my birthday just watching, like, Netflix on the floor with no furniture in my apartment. But, you know, I, like I, like you said, I went to Synergy to work out. I got to meet the people over there. They treated me very nice. I uh, got to, as COVID kind of dwindled out a little bit, and we started to be able to go places. I had the opportunity to meet people I don't think I necessarily would have um, if – we would have been gone. We would have had OTAs. I'd have been busy. And so, you know, uh, for what it's worth, I'm thankful for the experience that I had uh, in the in like in, in the process of getting to know Green Bay. Is it normal for players, Mike Clemens, to move to Green Bay that quickly after being drafted and to live there? That's not normal, right? No. Well, you know, otherwise there's the, the you know, the, the director of player relations also said, hey, here's some apartment buildings we work with. Here's a real estate agent if you want to buy, you know, a little bit later on, making sure after, you know, you get into camp. Of course, there's the team hotel they put them up in, and they had extra accommodations because of COVID. You know, they didn't necessarily have the, the off-season workouts, so they were in, in meetings. But um, this guy just, right from the very start, you know, he wants to he wants to plug into the community to the point where, did you see in the news like a couple of weeks ago, he was, he was given the key yeah. to Door County, and we asked him about that. In the summer, I practically live up there unless I'm training somewhere else. And then almost every time we've had an off day, I've gone up, I would say, for the most part. Are you the first recipient of the Key to Door County, or is this a thing? Yes, one 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 There's only one key. Are they going to give you a door? Well, it opens up a lot of doors. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of, like, a skeleton key, but the county is filled with doors if you didn't get it by the name. <laughs> so talking about going up to door county he's getting the key 
He, like, this man could be a politician. He talked about being a mayor, but he's pressing all the right buttons. He's, he's doing everything correctly here, Mike. He could be, he could be the Green Bay mayor. He could be, I mean, hell, he could be the governor, right? People wanted Tauscher to run a couple of years. Like, he's, he knows how to grease things. Well, I'm thinking, all right, now what's the angle here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, is this an early marketing guy? You know, the little self-awareness. Does he have a marketing agent? Is he... Is he looking for sponsorships? You know, people start, hey, you know, have A.J. Dillon as your sponsor to talk about your car dealership, which is all fine. That's all a part of business. But I'm telling you, every time you ask him the question about this, he's got a genuine story about it. Like you say, so how did you start going up to Egg Harbor and Sister Bay and all that? And he said that it was his girlfriend that introduced him to Door County. Yeah, so her family has a place up there and uh, obviously met them and, that was the summer I first got out here, and it was really fun. And we just kept going, and you know, then I found like I was dragging her up. She's like, ah, "I've always, go, I always go up there. Like, we got to go back up." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you know, my routine is on a good victory Monday. Try to get get up there to AC Tap, get some victory wings in, and you know, the rest follows. Maybe a little Al Johnson's for a Tuesday breakfast. I can go on and on for <laughs> for days with this. <laughs> Mike Clemens, our Packers reporter, is joining us. we got to get him up to the North Shore. If he likes Door County, this is what I've been saying. I, I know it's not popular with Wisconsin folks, but the North Shore is, oh. I, see, I'm a Lake Superior over Lake Michigan guy, but I just love anything related to the Great Lakes, so I'd probably love Door County, too. I've never been, but uh, we got to get well, him. Well, maybe Mark Murphy should put him on the tailgate tour. Yeah, you know, exactly. Send him up to Superior. <laughs> So the other guys is joking with him, and you know we're in the media auditorium, and it was you know was, he didn't have any meetings to go to, so it was a very relaxed conversation, as good as it gets from you know not being able to stand next to these guys at their locker, or meet them off campus someplace, and so he said, so this key to Door County, are you going to put that on display or what? Yeah, uh, I'm actually moving into a new place soon, and I want to build a nice little office space and. I'm going to try to do a DIY kind of shelves behind myself. So we'll see how it turns out for, like, Zoom meetings and stuff. But right up there, I'm going to get a little light for it. And it's either that or, like, wear it around my neck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this guy is a politician. Listen, he's getting the crowd to laugh. But but don't you like his – I mean, he's got the sense of humor. Oh, yeah. I love it. He's He's so genuine. That's the thing. He's so genuine. I, I, well, and, I, and I know that, you know, this one coffee shop that I go to, he was in there. And it's just like, no, he just stopped by. People recommend places. He goes. He wants to be a part of the fans and a part of the community. And he says that, you know, in his time away in Door County, that's just sort of help him embrace it. He's, he wants to be a Wisconsin guy. Yeah, it really has. I mean, obviously a large part of that would be my fiance and you know, her family and things like that. But also, I've always been one to kind of thrive in a family environment. Uh, I went to the school I went to in high school, the prep school I went to, um, close-knit community. I was lucky enough to have great coaches in high school and college that were kind of like father figures for me um, and their families. And so that's kind of like the thing we have here in the locker room and also in the Green Bay community. I've always told the story when I got out here after I got drafted People are, like, messaging me on Instagram, like, hey, we got some leftover, like, we have lasagna we just made, we can bring it over. And me being kind of, like, from the city, I'm like, I don't trust food from just strangers. But, like, just that thought, like, people are that nice and welcoming here. Um, and it's something I really um honored to be a part of. And when I say, like, honored to be a part of this family, yes, this team and 
but it's also everything that comes with it, and uh, that extends all the way up to the peninsula. So the story of the Packers following A.J. Dillon and, and being in touch with him and really targeting him for years before he came out for the draft, right? That's something the Packers did and we heard about. Is this the kind of thing they were noticing and like, we got to get this guy. We got to make sure he ends up on our team. Do you think this was part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the character thing sometimes means just as much as, as the stopwatch time for Brian Gutekinds. They want smart football players that can get it that can handle the adversity and the chaos and the temptations, quite frankly. And so far, you can't ask for a better candidate than what this guy is doing right now about embracing the community, playing for these fans. Sure, in two years, he'll be looking for a big payday uh, like anybody because it's a business. But like he's even said, at just 23 years old, wherever I go, I like this place. I've been here a year and a half. I really like what this is all about. This would be a great place to raise a family. Man... That's a guy whose jersey you want to, you know, plunk down the money for Christmas yeah. and start wearing to the to the stadium. Yeah, that's a guy that I can. Uh, that's a guy that I can cheer for, and I feel the same way. I mean, I feel the same way about Aaron Jones. They've just had some really good running back luck the last couple of years with really likable people. And Jamal Williams isn't even here anymore. He might be the most likable guy in press conferences in the entire league. Like they've just done a really good job scouting and finding not good running backs, but people who seem to fit the role that they're also unselfish. Right? Like, no one's holding out for money. No one's talking about touches. They really seem to have figured out how to handle their running back position. So as angry as people are at Brian Gutekinds for getting a quarterback, and by the way, the Saints tonight are going to try and start Taysom Hill. I mean, just if you're watching the NFL and you see how valuable the quarterback position is, and if you haven't invested at some point seriously into it to back up your legendary Hall of Famer, like what the Saints are looking at right now, they're trying to replace Drew Brees. Um, that's why the guy had to make that move. And in the meantime, man, he's really brought in some pretty quality players. And then he brings in guys off the street, like a Rasul Douglas, you know, like a Devondre Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, who's you know been your leading tackler on your team. They were just sitting there for other teams to pick up. Yeah, it's cool. Brian Gutekinds is having a hack. You think exec of the year is within reach? Who would he be? Who would he be in the running with right now if, if the award were given out, do you think? Um, well, you know, I, don't, I can't remember if the Buccaneers uh, GM got it last year because he did an, an excellent job of getting all those veterans and still getting it under the salary cap, you know? That's just the thing, too, is to get these guys to come in yeah. at you know, a more minimum wage to get them to get this like, hey, we're going for a Super Bowl ring, you know? Yeah. Do you want to join us? And that makes a difference there, but... I, I tell you what, if they can get over the hump and, and the NFC Championship thing, and depend, and when you consider all the hurdles that they went through with Rodgers in the offseason, mm-hmm. he should be, probably could be a candidate. Well, thank you, Mike. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk next week about some more bye week things, and I suppose we'll start looking at some of these games. they got some funky games against the Browns and the Ravens, teams that we don't normally talk about, so those conversations should be fun next week. Will do. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, have a great weekend. Mike Clements on Twitter, at... Mike Clemens, NFL, we appreciate his work always. Some cool storytelling with A.J. Dillon. What an interesting guy. And I think I kept mentioning how it it sounds like he's a politician. And I didn't mean it. I think maybe Mike thought. I don't mean that he's angling for something here. I just, man, he's saying all the right things to get fans on his side. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.